0: Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeffrey M. Roach, and I am excited to be here with you as we ed up health up and transform healthcare through innovative education and workforce solutions. I'm surely excited today as we have Matt Siegelman, president of the Burning Glass Institute, chairman of Lightcast, and visiting fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. The Burning Glass Institute advances data-driven research and practice on the future of work and learning. Previously, a CEO of KKR-backed Lightcast. Matt pioneered the field of real-time labor market data, a breakthrough innovation in how employers, universities, governments, and workers understand the landscape of talent and opportunity. Named by Forbes to its future of, 50, future of Work 50, Matt holds an AB from Princeton and an MBA from Harvard and is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Matt, it is so good to have you here with us on edEP Health Up, and I'm excited to discuss the need for more upskilling and career mobility in healthcare with you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for the conversation.
0: Matt, I want to start with, you know, you just taking a little bit of time to talk about, obviously, what first got you into this work. Uh, Obviously, you you really are one of the nation's uh, thought most leaders in this space. Um, And I know, obviously, you spent a lot of time, but but first start, let's start there. And then, you know, also share with us a little bit more about the Burning Glass Institute as well.
1: So uh, my work in this space started probably about twenty years ago, and it um, it started uh, with some work I was I was collaborating with some folks um, who were tra- trying to solve the problem of how people get matched to jobs, um, and uh, you know we developed a better technology mousetrap for being able to make sure that uh, that you could evaluate. Uh, not just the the key words that people said, but but you know what trajectory had someone followed, and and what kind of experiences did they have, and how relevant and how recent were they, and and all sorts of things like that. And so we built that better mousetrap. It came to to be fairly widely used. Um, but uh, I, I realized at some point, um, notwithstanding that that you know you could see that that it was having some kind of effect that fundamentally, um, you know, I, I had to ask yourself, right. Um, okay. If what we're doing is working, then why has why is the world still really difficult? Why are we still seeing it's so hard for employers to find good talent? Why it's so hard for people to find the right job for them. So either you have to say, actually our technology is not that good check, because mm-hmm. by the way, you always overestimate the the power of your technology or of any technology. Um, or you have to realize that maybe you're solving the wrong problem. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in my case it was it was kind of a both. Um, I realize that a lot of our efforts really focus on these questions of how do i how do I solve that one to one matching problem? Mm-hmm. But before you can um make sure that uh, workers and employers can connect more effectively, you need to make sure that people have an ability and employers have an ability um to plan for uh, uh, for for that connection. And ultimately to prepare for it. Um, And when I looked at that problem, I said, well, there's a reason why we actually don't plan all that effectively. And and by the way, just to like kind of put a a fine point when I say, like, hey, we don't tend to plan. Most of us don't tend to plan our careers all that much. Right. You know, um, there's a few kids who are lucky enough to know what they want to do when they grow up. Most of us don't. Um, Most of us still don't. um, You know, however many decades into our careers we are. you know, and and likewise, think about it from an employer perspective. Now, um, employers have very sophisticated supply chains for any commodity that's important to them. Um, we've seen, in fact, in some ways, the f- supply chain failures of the last few years um, really uh, bring into high relief actually how sophisticated they've they've been. Um, and yet, the most important factor of production to any employer is their talent. Yeah. And we entirely buy our talent on the spot market. The spot market is, you know, hey, um I need to go go get it today on the market today and you know, where do I find it and where do I imagine if if um you know, Chevy were were building a bunch of Silverados and said, "Hey, you know, we we've got some 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 chassis coming through the assembly today and um will anyone sell us some seats?" Uh, yeah. Of course, that's not the way it works. Yeah. Um. But, uh. So. So. You know. But that's exactly how the world of talent works today. And likewise for for workers. Again, it's it's all cosmic coincidences. I happen to need a job at a given time. Someone happened to be looking. And so it said, "Well, look, we can't we can't get more effective in a job market that works based on cosmic coincidences. Um, we need to be able." to actually see the market writ large. Mm -hmm. The reason why people aren't planning or employers aren't planning isn't because, um, you know, some some extreme preference for myopia, Um, but actually what it's much more about is that we usually can't see the landscape of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't see the landscape of talent. Uh, What talent is out there for a given role and how do we see it not just as, who happens to be sending a resume in on a given day, um, but as you know, what are the sets of talent pools I could tap, both the ones that are obvious and the ones that are a lot less obvious? What are the next turns I can make in my career, both um, the ones that I might be thinking about, the ones I might not be thinking about, but which would draw on a lot of my core skills? So what we did is we realized that um, that what was going to be needed was was better data. Um, that ultimately to solve the many to many problem of the job market, um, you needed to be able to understand where those talent pools are, where those sets of opportunities are. And so we started to collect them. So wait a second, a lot of the data that have been out there are based on these, um, very, um, you know, kind of, uh, often kind of dated instruments or, or, you know, uh, government surveys and the like. And and those have been very helpful. We said, but but you know what? Um, Most hiring takes place online today. We actually see the vast majority of job openings. We can see um, a huge amount of talent. And we can understand what that landscape looks like with a much greater degree of timeliness and even more importantly, granularity what are the skills that, to not only what jobs are in demand, what are the skills they require? How does that vary by, by sector, by location? Um, what are the credentials that are gonna be needed? Um, and so that's what what we built at, at what's become Lightcast. Um, and um, Lightcast continues to do phenomenal work in charting the market. Um, I left that two years ago to found the Burning Glass Institute, um, which is dedicated to leveraging sources like Lightcast and a number of others um to be able to bring to bear um the critical research and experimentation at the intersection of the future of work and the future of learning
0: when you you know when you look at obviously you know you were looking at all industries right but obviously uh you know i, I personally and and you know on, on this podcast we talk a lot about healthcare um you know a lot of interesting data uh when it comes to healthcare in, in a number of areas and you know, it's also interesting because healthcare tends to be an industry that, you know, very much still requires degrees uh, in many in many or most areas, uh, even in non-clinical areas, uh, you know, still employers require degrees. I want to kind of get your thoughts on, on from a data perspective, what you're hearing, what you're seeing there, um, because obviously when we talk about upskilling, when we talk about the changes that are occurring there, uh, at the same time, on the degree side, we also hear healthcare systems say, you know, we're not getting enough students that are enrolling in those clinical programs. You know, ultimately, you know, we don't have enough uh, supply and demand to meet the needs of of what we're seeing from a patient end. You know, I want to get your thoughts there?
1: So, so a couple of things. unpack. So, first of all, I think you know, um, healthcare is is um, a fascinating um, area um, and and really one of the toughest spots. Uh, you know, we know that, um, healthcare faces, uh, not one of the, but the scarcest labor pool, um, nationwide, um, that affects both, um, both degreed roles. So practitioner, uh, practitioner roles and non-degreed roles. So, um, uh, healthcare support, healthcare, uh, allied health and so forth. Um, you know, take the example of, of RNs, um, So uh, RNs, um, we expect sort of about a 50% employment growth um, over the next decade. Um, At at the same time, there's some growth in new entrants into the market, about 27%, but that would still be a 24% gap. But that 27% growth in um, new enrollments or new entrants into the market um, is almost entirely swallowed up by 23% of the workforce, which is going away yeah um and, and aging out so so you know when you say hey you're focusing in healthcare you're focusing in um in probably uh the epicenter of um of the challenges in the market you, you talked about some of the things that impede um good progress in the market today um you mentioned degrees as as one of them and i would add uh, i'll see your degrees and i'll add uh, i'll I'll raise you um uh licenses and credentials Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I think the broad point here is that healthcare roles are some of the most, uh, the healthcare market is probably the, the most structured that there is, and therefore has the most rigidity, um, to, and that stands in the way of thinking more broadly about talent. When I say thinking more broadly about talent, what I mean is this, right? We Um, need to be able to not just look um, at the workforce there is um, based on people who have the right title, but we need to be able to look more broadly at the workforce that has the right sets of skills or most of the right sets of skills. And the more structured a market is, the harder that is to do. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, if you're trying to figure out how do we bring more, how do we build a better type pipeline of our ends? Well, we can try to get more people into ASN and BSN programs. Um, and that absolutely needs to be a, a significant priority. Um, but you know what, we've got a lot of people in jobs like LPNs, in you know, in, in in health education specialists and nursing assistants and medical assistants, um, each of them have many of the right skills. Again, not all of them um, to mm-hmm. be uh, an RN. When we think about the structure of nurse training, yeah. we don't tend to have the stair step programs in place. Yeah. So you know, there's there's programs that will help you get your ASN or get your BSN, but there aren't the more efficient programs that could be that says, okay, here's how you go from being a medical assistant to an RN. Yeah. Right? When I say more efficient, like why, why more efficient? Because if you realize that that person already has a lot of the sets of skills, all you need to train is the gap. It makes it a yeah. lot quicker. It means that we can um, look at a much bigger pool of potential talent than what we're looking at today um and that's that's the opportunity that i think the healthcare workforce tends to be missing
0: yeah and i i agree with you and and you know and many people say well then how do you change it right because you're you're talking about the licensure and the accreditation side which historically have not been areas in healthcare that have been the most progressive are there you know are there areas that that you're aware of or, or are there things that you would even recommend to the regulators in this space because Obviously, on the on the higher ed side too, you know, you talk to a higher ed institution, they want to grow programs. Uh, They really do. Um, But they have to have uh, the right faculty to staff, you know, to student ratio. Um, They've got to stay in par with exactly what the accrediting body says. Um, And then certainly on the on the hospital and health system side uh, from a professional end, all those different roles also have professional societies that also play a really vital role and really the licensure around this as well. And so thoughts there as well.
1: So, so first I think it's worth differentiating as, as you've done between licensure and accreditation. Um, and Cause I think there, there are different solutions that are needed on each side of that fence. Um, look um, no one, or at least uh, I can't speak for, for no one, but I'll, I'll speak for myself. You know, I, I would certainly uh, not as, as a, as a, as I'm not a healthcare practitioner, I don't play one on TV. But I'm sure glad that healthcare practitioners and and healthcare support people are licensed. Um, and so I think what we're talking about here is not change, um, broad change to licensure. Um, we may be thinking, however, about uh, you know I think we're on the licensure side where I think that the broad Changes that that I think could bring you efficiency is is to add to portability. Yeah. Um, so you know, licensures are are typically state driven, um, and uh, you know that makes it more difficult for us to have a true flexibility in our healthcare workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's uh, that's one thing I'll, I'll hold out there on on licensure. Um, but really, what I think the the big unlocks are going to be around accreditation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, first I think worth celebrating what works about um the the system that exists today, from both from a licensure perspective and and um from a program structure perspective, there unlike in most other fields, there are there is a clear currency that's you know uh, licenses, um or certifications um serve that function of of essentially making very clear what the standards are, and making very clear. Who's a, who, who who meets those standards and who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something which a lot of other parts of the labor market would be would be jealous of. Yeah. Um, you know. And by the way, that's also opened up the doors for a lot of uh, for a broader array of providers.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. It's interesting, for example, um, if you look at sort of for-profit education companies um you know and and uh you know in a lot of parts of the market there's um really been a turn away from from for-profit uh colleges and universities the one place where for-profits have continued to actually work relatively well is is in nursing right because yeah. either the graduates are passing the NCLEX or they're not yeah um and and so you know they know they've got a uh, could have that pass rate. Um, they know what the standard is. They know how to deliver it. Not all of them are good at it, but but there, there are definitely some um, good shining stars out there, which is a lot more than you see in a lot of other um, parts of the market. But um, from an accreditation perspective, um, where there's a big opportunity today is um, to be able to enable Shorter form transition oriented programs, so not programs that insist on training somebody up from scratch, yeah. but programs that um, can take an initial assessment, evaluate what somebody already knows, and then um, validate um, that people are able to close the gap, and that could bring much greater efficiency in uh, you know in in the way that that the healthcare system works. It could also, by the way, keep people in the healthcare pipeline who are further down the, um, the employment chain. Um, we know um, there's huge, huge turnover um, in in uh, lower wage healthcare roles. Um, and I think part of the reason is that it's really hard for somebody Who's, um, you know, a uh, a nurse's assistant to see the path to becoming a nurse. It's yeah. really hard for a home healthcare care aide to see a future um, as, um, you know, a medical assistant or or a dietitian or whatever it may be. The more that we can enable those stair steps, the more that we can um, help people see that that value in staying in the field.
0: Mm-hmm. Well and I think to your point right too you're, you're you're also speaking to that kind of career and economic mobility perspective and you know it's interesting to your exact point you know I was talking to several healthcare systems recently and and I you know I was shocked when I heard this but you know in 2023 we still sit at a time where um you know if you take a, if you take a role like you know some have still called biomed engineer or a clinical engineer and associates required field, uh, you know certainly also uh, you know accreditation and licensure aspects to that role because these are the these are the technicians uh, who literally are taking apart and rebuilding, fixing medical devices. And so when you think of their roles, very technical, uh, they are experts in what they do. Yet in many healthcare systems, still today, they're classified as craftsmen, and they're paid like they're part of the facilities team. As compared to being paid like they're part of uh, a patient care team, or paid like they're part of even IT, mm-hmm. um, and you know these same systems were telling me, well, we're losing these these people to Costco, and we're losing them to other aspects of our of our ecosystem. And I said, well, have you looked at the pay? Um, and obviously, you know that's an a- HR function. It gets into a different a different element. These are leaders within those spaces, but it's interesting uh, because obviously. Some of it too, to your point, is licensure, some of it is accreditation, but then also some of it is sort of these older ways of classifying positions in healthcare that that most other industries have said, all right, it's just, we've got to move forward here. Healthcare has just been a little bit more antiquated, I think, in in this process.
1: We tend to think that we're locked into business models um, and that we have no control over them. We tend to, there's a lot of companies out there that say, well, gee, you know, the the economics of my business dictate that I'm a high, uh, a a low wage, high turnover um, employer. And to your point, um, that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. Yeah. Uh, take a page from retail, right? So if you look at retail, there are plenty of of low wage, high turnover um, uh, uh, employers. And then actually to use the example you just brought up a minute ago, there's, there's places like Costco, um, which um, have been very successful both in bringing people in and retaining them yeah. and ultimately have become very profitable by um, recognizing that the cost of turnover, the lost uh, um, you know, sort of intellectual capital and, and know-how um, associated with, with kind of low-wage models aren't worth it. Um, you know, we've created uh, the Burning Glass Institute. Uh, last year, we launched something together with our partners at the Schultz Family Foundation and uh, at Harvard Business School, something called the American Opportunity Index. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a measure of America's largest employers based upon the level of mobility they afford their workers. Um, and one of the things that we found is that, um, you found in any given sector, there were, um, companies that were in the the top quintile of performance, there were companies in the bottom quintile of performance. Hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, we have more degrees of freedom than we think. Um, and that's going to be especially important in healthcare, given how skilled it is um, right. So whenever your role is skilled, um, inherently, the cost of turnover is higher.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and um, and that's something which we tend not to factor in. Um, and yet we bear those costs just the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it's so interesting. You say that. I'm curious, were there many healthcare systems on that list on the upper end?
1: So there aren't many uh healthcare systems that are um that are um you know kind of fortune 500 style companies if you will. Um but that said um there were healthcare companies who's uh who were uh who were delivering good opportunity for for their workers and um and there were healthcare companies that um whose workers are struggling. Um and and so there are those kinds of choices. And, I think you were also right, by the way, to bring up before the broader array of roles that aren't necessarily even healthcare roles. So, you know, IT is a great example um, where, you know, if you're, um, you, you know, just think about um, the amount of, of network support that's needed um, in, in hospitals. It was in a hospital room uh, not so long ago and just noticing how every device in there is networked. Um, And yet, um, hospital systems are not um, usually um, uh, able to compete um, for network um, talent that now, if you take those, um, those economics as a given, and maybe they are, um, then what that says is that um, healthcare systems need to work very closely with community colleges, with others mm-hmm. to make sure that they can be a good first job. Yep. Um, if they're not going to be able to retain people long term, mm-hmm. then you know how do you make yourself a good place to start yep. um, and a good place to stay maybe a little bit longer than people are staying today?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you raised such a good point, right? Because, you know, I know when I was a hospital administrator for many years, you know, I worked in a system that dealt with the same challenge. You know, most positions, if not all, were bachelor's required. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget, I'll never forget, and I, I, I chuckle when I think about it, but um, I one time, you know, faced that with somebody I was looking to promote uh, because the individual had an associate's, uh, didn't have a bachelor's. And ultimately, uh, in this case, or no, I'm sorry, actually didn't even have an associate's. But had over twenty years of work experience in the healthcare system, uh, was working towards the associates, but it was still bachelor's required. And um, you know, me being the type of person that I was, I started to do my own research and I learned uh, that our CIO of the system, who's a dear friend of mine still to this day, did not have a bachelor's uh, at the time, and um, you know, ended up getting his bachelor's after uh, you know many years as the CIO. And so I said to him once, I said. I said, "Help me understand," and uh, and he said, "He said you got to fight the good fight." He said, and he said, "I've taken it upon myself to advocate that it's not just about that degree; it's also got to be about the skills, got to be about the fact that they want to grow uh, further in their IT career." And he said, "I'd rather hire somebody from a community college uh, or even hire them before community college and invest in them, in them to grow further." And what I saw him do is he created this great, and again, he had to challenge HR in the process, but he did, but he challenged them to do that. And what he ended up doing was create this stackable approach where they were starting before community college as a help desk technician, uh, go back to community college, you know, to grow further. And by the time he had them into cybersecurity and other roles that they were getting all these credentials. And, you know, similarly, like for me, I fought the good fight and I got the the colleague of mine promoted into a manager role uh, without a college degree. Uh, and, you know, to me, it was, is uh, I had to do a lot of documentation. I had to do a lot of coaching. I had to do a lot of things, but, but again, it, it's, it's not easy in healthcare, but it can be done if you're willing to kind of challenge that, that business model that's been there for so long.
1: I'm actually moderately optimistic. Um, so uh, I, you know, I, I think the the thing that often has been holding us back is that we have a certain way of doing things. So what's holding us back from doing better in the future is um, what's what we've always done in the past. Yeah. Um, but um, talent shortages have a way of making you um, ask tough questions of yourself. Uh, right? You know, it's one thing if we're 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 kind of, um, you know, we're muddling through somehow. Um, if you know, we're we're not managing to make it work, then um, I think increasingly, we're gonna start saying, well, where is the talent? What are other ways that we can get at it? Yeah. Um, and that's where I think we're going to see the healthcare world. Um, start to to borrow a page from other sectors, um, and the example you just gave is is a great one, um, precisely because um, we know that for the most part people don't leap tall buildings in a single bound. We climb stairs, and that's uh, what we see in 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 field after field after field. I'll give you an example. Uh, so. Uh, and actually, it's it's very similar to one you just shared. Um, we know that that there's actually a non-trivial percentage of of retail workers who, if you track them over five years, let's say a few percent, who wind up in in tech roles. Mm. And when you first look at that, you say, okay, well, that those are probably people who are working their way through school or whatever. Um, more often, it looks something like this: I'm I'm selling consumer electronics at Best Buy. Um, I get a little training and I'm setting up people's consumer electronics at Best Buy and what they call the Geek Squad, Mm -hmm. right? I get a little more training, I get A-plus certification, I'm on on a help desk. desk. From there, I can become network support, network admin, and and, and so forth, right? Step by step by step. That's how people rise. The more that we can um, deconstruct the healthcare talent pipeline and reassemble it, to be um, oriented around small progressions, yeah. the more we can keep people in healthcare, the more we can um, make sure that people are becoming more valuable, um, not only to the healthcare systems and patients they serve, but also to themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting. I've always said, you know, in you know, having a career in both healthcare and then higher ed, that we've still never, to your point, ever visually been a position for almost majority of healthcare roles, where we've been able to say to a student, this is where you can start and this is where you could end up visually. Um, And when you look at it, if you interview CEOs and if you interview other leaders, if you think about it, so often their careers have been like that. Mm -hmm. And we just need to visualize it. We need to really create this. And, And I will say too, I've always, I've been saying more and more that I think credit for prior learning has amazing opportunities in healthcare. Because if you would go in and assess every healthcare system around professional development and can find a way to track that to credit, we could really have some equity in the system too, because some of the people who are doing a lot of that are in these entry-level, more entry-level roles, critical roles, that ultimately, if we can get them to get that bachelor's in a more you know quicker way, more efficient way, it can happen. Uh, and then they can grow. And so it's a really interesting, interesting perspective.
1: I'm glad you brought up the point about um, building new equity in our our healthcare uh, workforce as well, Um, because uh, developing a more diverse, more representative um, healthcare workforce depends on our getting out of the zero sum game mindset. If your mindset is, I've got to hire people for a role and the the available talent are the people who currently are quali- you know have all the credentials I need all the licenses and 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 who are working in that job today, then you're right. There is a zero sum game. There's a finite number of people, and um, and if you want to build uh, greater diversity into your workforce, then you've got to um, tear at your competitors to to bring that talent in into your your system. Um, if you can start to say, "Hey, wait a second, we have um, a robust amount of uh, of of diversity um, already in our workforce. Um, it's in other town pools. Mm-hmm. Um, then you suddenly have the instruments for growing the pie., yep. absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, I know we're we're close to time, so I want to you know ask you if there's any additional kind of closing thoughts. Um, Obviously, you gave a a sense of some hope and optimism as it relates to this, but anything else you'd want to add?
1: So one of the things I I would just want to call out is this, that um, one of the effects of the credentialing system that we have, the licensure system that we have right now, um, is that it tends to hold skills static. Hmm. Um, So, uh, again... There's a lot of positives about that that system, but what it does is it says, look, we're going to um, have a definition of an RN, and that definition's not going to change. Um, Maybe occasionally we we change those standards a little bit. The reality of the job market is different. The average job um, has seen uh, 37%, that's across all occupations, seen 37% of of its top skills replaced just over the last five years. Um, And that's true in healthcare, just as it's true of, of other jobs. And so the question is, how do we build into healthcare training, healthcare evaluation and healthcare licensure, the ability to adapt more fluidly, the ability to Evaluate skills that are from outside healthcare, which nonetheless make people uh, more effective think about um, a skill like project management mm-hmm. project management is um, is a business skill. And yet, um, think about how nurses need to be able to manage care across providers They increasingly need heavy duty project management skills we don't tend to train them because project management isn't what's on the end yeah, um, and so recognizing those changes, um adapting to them and may uh, is going to be critical to not just our having a sufficient workforce, but to having a capable workforce.
0: Mm, that's incredibly insightful. and and uh, I will say I wholeheartedly uh, you agree with you. and and i will I will also say that there are opportunities on the accreditation side to that, too from a simulation perspective, if you look at, you know, a lot of crediting uh, bodies still in healthcare, do not allow, uh, and and again, I would never advocate for replacing in-person clinical training, but you should be able to do a percentage uh, of simulation-based training because depending on your, you know, if you're more in a rural environment and more suburban, you don't know there's benefits. And so, um, you know, great, great point that kind of correlates. Well, Matt, I want to thank you uh, you know, for this time, and also want to thank you for the work that you lead at the Burning Glass Institute, and obviously what you built uh, at at what now is Lightcast, because obviously uh, we know so many higher ed institutions, so many employers look to that data uh, to to really prepare uh, for what we know is the current aspect of work today, but also the future of work. And thank you for your thought leadership and all the work that you do.
1: Jeffrey so much enjoy this conversation.
0: Absolutely. Thanks Thanks again. And for our listeners, I want to encourage you to check out, Matt, Uh, certainly check out the work and the reports and the insights that the Burning Glass Institute are sharing. Um, And again, we look forward to the next time uh, to have another dialogue. Matt, thanks again.
1: Thank you.